0: Well, we're reading a story about people that are coming to a point where they are overworked. It's in Mark chapter 6. It is not the point of the story, but there is given some extra detail that is put in there that I think it's worth just pausing instead of just doing all of these, the thematic study, but just to look at a passage that has some really good principles for those of us who are trying to serve the Lord with our capabilities. Let's set up the scene. Mark chapter 6, as we started into this section last week, Mark chapter 6 continues the story of Jesus in the second half of his ministry traveling through Galilee, preaching, teaching, trying to instruct his disciples one-on-one or one-to-twelve in preparation for his soon departure that will happen in a few months. And as the Mark chapter 6 unfolds, if there's one word that kind of is the common thread through chapter 6, it's the word unbelief. Remember we looked at the beginning of the first few verses of Mark chapter 6 last week. Jesus encounters unbelief in what town? Do you remember the town we talked about last week? Something that people knew him well because it was the town of Nazareth. Okay, so he gets unbelief, comes comes towards him, rejection, by people that knew him. Then as the story unfolds, he sends out his disciples in verses 7 all the way down to 13, and he tells them, I want you to go to the nearby villages, and I want you to cast out the demons. As they go, he said, some people will listen, but there will be some people who, again, will respond with unbelief. And those individuals, what should you do? Take and shake the dust off your feet, okay, the idea that you move on. Then you have, in the rest of Mark chapter 6, you have, and starting with verse 14, if you have those paragraph headings, you have the account of Herod uh, all of a sudden responding to the ministry of John the Baptist, and Herod is going to reject the ministry of John the Baptist. He's going to be angry about it. And what will happen to John the Baptist under Herod's orders? He's going to be beheaded. Okay, and there's the unbelief at that point. Then as the story even gets in the second section, which we're not going to go this far tonight, but in the second half, then Jesus will go to the other side of the sea, and when he gets there, there's going to be crowds that will follow, and they're hungry. They want, they want, um, they want uh, Jesus to teach him. He spends an exhaustive time teaching them, <clears throat> and then he runs into the unbelief of his disciples. Because they're saying, we don't have anything here, we can't minister to these people, and they encourage, they encourage Jesus, get rid of the people. Now, what's amazing is if you back up to chapter 5, if there's a thread through chapter 5, it's belief. If you remember in chapter 5, you had the belief that was amazing. Back in chapter 5, you have the story that starts with, in the beginning of chapter 5, with the maniac of Gadara, who believes. And he says, Lord, let me follow you, but no, you need to stay here and minister after Jesus cast out the demons. Then Jesus is approached by Jairus because his daughter is dying. And Jesus says, if you believe, and the man says, help me. And he says, if you believe, I can help you. And while Jesus is en route to Jairus' home, remember the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, that she comes to him and she believes that if she just did what? She could be healed if she just touched him. So chapter 5 is all about belief. Chapter 6 seems to have that running thread of unbelief. And yet in chapter 6, despite the fact that a lot of the people are doubting, they're questioning, some will just absolutely reject Jesus, some will even reject his forerunner, what happens here in chapter 6 is it's stated several times that Jesus is determined to just continue getting the gospel out. We read that as the story unfolds. Where Jesus in this passage, look down at verse 6 of chapter 6. In verse 6 it says, Jesus marveled at the unbelief of of the Nazarenes. And yet, what did he do? Did he quit? No, the passage says, He went round about the villages teaching. And so he's continuing to give it out, even though some have rejected. Then verse 7, he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth two by two, and give them power over the unclean spirits, and then told them, hey, you go out, and you share this message as well that I'm giving. Then we read about in chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles gathered themselves together. They have done this. They have gone through the region. Uh, They gathered back with Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And so, In this text, you have a lot of people with unbelief, but Jesus is like, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. We're going to continue to give out the word. We're going to continue to give this message to even regions where not everybody is responding in a positive sense. And so he's just determined. Not only is he determined, what's interesting is Jesus delegates. Could Jesus have done a better job himself than sending out the apostles? Yes, we, are, we all understand that. But Jesus said, I'm going to use you, to you 12. I'm going to divide you into groups of two. I'm going to send you out, verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. He sends them out. He delegates. He informs them what's he going to do. He assures them that when you go out, okay, I'll take care of you. Because remember where we left last week, down to about verse 8, he tells them in this t- passage, he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey except for the staff, And he says, I don't even want you to take bread, not money, but just have a staff, your sandals, and take one coat with you. And basically what he is telling them to take is identical to what God says when he tells the Jews to leave the land of Egypt real quickly. And they had to leave, as we mentioned this last week, when they left with the Exodus, they had to rely on Hud for all their provisions for their food, for their protection. It was a matter of trusting God, trusting God, trusting God. What Jesus is repeating to his disciples is, you go out and do the job. You're just going to have to trust me. You're going to have to trust me to take care of you, to provide for you. Trust me. Trust me to use you. Some will reject, some may receive you. That's what's happening to me. Don't be surprised. But just do the job, do the job, do the job. And then they hear about what's happened to John the Baptist. They hear that he was even killed. You need to trust me. You need to trust me. We need to minister and just go out and do this. And as Jesus is doing this, and it's a busy, busy time... In the middle of that busy time of preaching, Mark includes that story, verses 14 down to 29, of of John the Baptist being beheaded. And after John the Baptist is killed, the other accounts say that Jesus is informed. And when Jesus is informed, we have to remember the, the emotional status and story and condition here. Jesus thought highly of John the Baptist, true or false? He did. Do you remember what he says in Luke No greater has ever been born of woman than John the Baptist. And Jesus, he complimented John the Baptist. He commends him for his ministry. And Jesus is related to him, not just physically in that sense that they're cousins, but he is related to him spiritually, ministerially. They're colleagues in ministry. They're not far apart in age. We know that. They're only six months apart. And they they were united in ministry. And they were loyal to one another. And as a result, Jesus and John had this, this real close bond, even though they didn't minister side by side, but for a short time that we read about in John 3. But they, were, they ministered. And then Jesus hears that his forerunner, his predecessor, if you would, in getting the gospel out, is killed. You can imagine, I can imagine, that that was somewhat of a a blow to Jesus. Not that he was caught off guard, but it it would have an emotional blow. It would have a ministerial blow. It would unsettle some of the disciples. And about this time, Jesus and the disciples, they have been busy. They are on this tour preaching. They're getting opposition. They're getting reception. And we read in the text, down in verse 30, just something that that is kind of stuck in between the story. And it's just giving us background information. But it is profound. Where it says in verse 30, The apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Great time. They're giving a report. They're sharing about what they had done. And Jesus says unto them, Come you yourselves apart into the desert and do what? What's he want them to do? I want to rest a while. And then it goes on. And Mark is the only one that gives us this tidbit of detail. Mark says, for there were so many people coming and going that they, Jesus and disciples, had what? They had no free time, leisure. They had no time to even do what? To even eat. So what you have is Jesus protecting his disciples. There's this this upheaval with John's death. He's got to deal with, he's got to talk to them. And they've been busy. And then he says, let's go aside. Let's go aside. Let's get apart from everybody. And so Jesus in his wisdom and in his care for his disciples, he takes a break. I find that amazing. I find it very convicting. I find it absolutely amazing that Jesus would do this at this moment in his ministry. And I'd like to just make several observations that maybe don't mean anything to you. But if there, was, there are those of you who are you know, task-oriented people, that are driven people, which I know several of you are, Okay, that this could have some profound impact on you and me to say, hey, wait a minute, let's think this through about Jesus and his disciples, how that Jesus told them these thoughts about let's come apart to a desert place. Let me make this observation number one. It is not ungodly to take a break. It is not ungodly. Jesus did it at this moment. In fact, do you know, do you know of any other time that God said it is okay to take a break? Can you think of any other instance in Scripture? Creation. What did he say in creation? On the seventh day, do what? Okay, rest. And it is the pattern that he uses throughout the rest of the Bible that it is appropriate at times. And you, when you think about it, Jesus tells the disciples, come apart and rest a while, even though there's still a lot of work to do. Were there still people that needed to be ministered to? Yes or No. Look at the next verse. They departed into a desert place by ship privately. When the people saw them departing and many knew him, they ran afoot thither out of all the cities and they outrent them and came together unto him. And Jesus when he came out, when he came out where, when he came out of the boat. When he came out of the boat, what does he see? Much people. And do you remember how much people there are? This is the any of you have the the paragraph heading? This is the story of feeding of how many? 5,000 males. So you start estimating. There's fifteen to 20,000 meeting people meeting him at shore. There was still a lot to do. When they left that one, that one spot, they're leaving to get away from the crowd. There is still a lot to do. And Jesus goes across, and the intent is, we need to have a break so we can eat. There are still a lot of people to, to take care of. There's still a lot to do, but Jesus says there's a time to take a break, that we need this rest for a while. The, the point is, if you and I think this through in a biblical sense, if we think this through, and you say there is no time to get everything I need to get done, is that true? God says, I have given you, if you seek me first in the kingdom of God, I will give you all things you need. I'll provide. Does he give us time to get the essentials done. There's a biblical fact. God gives us the time, he gives us the energy to get the essentials done. Too often we fill our life with non-essentials. And so he's ministering to people, but he also knows at this time, guys, we need to have a break. There is something about our humanity that says we either break or we break. Break. And so he pulls the disciples apart. It's a spiritual activity. Let me make a second observation. That's similar, but same thing, but different. It is not only, we we will say it's not ungodly to take a break. Let's, Let's drive the home point home a little bit more. It's necessary to take a break at time. It is absolutely necessary. The disciples physically needed it. Jesus physically needed it. They didn't have time to eat. And so Jesus takes them apart. They needed it mentally. The idea, the aspect that mentally they were, they were just exhausted. They had just done this preaching tour. And, yeah, and some of you can understand that. Some of us, we, you know, we've not been like they are, but I can imagine if they were preaching multiple times during the day in teaching, that can be mentally exhausting answering people's questions. They're exhausted in the sense of socially, the crowds, 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 crowds. I don't know if ever it happens to you. Do you ever get so overwhelmed with people that there are moments you say, I don't want to be around people at all. I just want to be alone. I want to be by myself. Well, that's what the, the passage is implying. That they were just, people were, and for, for lack of other words, people are wanting and they're pulling and they're grabbing and they want a, they want a, a pound of flesh from Jesus. They want him to give, 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 give. And after a while, if you're in that situation, people can become frustrating. People can become bothersome. And so Jesus, knowing, says, okay, what we need to do is we need to, just, we need to come apart. We need this time. And even the Lord himself, as I'll show you in a few moments, the Lord needed this time spiritually. And he's going to, in the later part of this chapter, when he's in this, oh, in this desert break, he is going to focus on a spiritual renewal for himself, as we'll see in a few moments what he does. The point being is this, is that there are moments where we need to just slow down and we need those opportunities to say, let's put aside the busyness of life and what we need to do is we need to get a physical, mental, social, spiritual break for a little bit. It might be that one day of the week. It might be a vacation. It might be going into the desert place where you have that time of, should we call it a retreat with Christ? For some of you, it's even come to a point of, hey, I'm reaching that point in retirement. For some of you, it happens here. It happens where you say, I need a little bit of a break from teaching the kids. I feel mentally exhausted. I don't have creative juices anymore. And I need a little bit of a break. Is that ungodly and unspiritual? No, no. No, and I appreciate how Pastor Tony deals with so many people that will come up and say, I just need a break from the kids' ministries for a little bit that is understood and it puts us in real binds and real crunches because it happens. But there's nothing, there's nothing evil about that. It is, it is a part of what we need those breaks. Can I make a third observation? But it, this doesn't apply to you. But if I were speaking and teaching this in a different setting, I'd make sure I'd say it anyway. Taking a break is no excuse for being lazy. Taking a break is no excuse for being lazy. I, I fear that at times at some, some occasions, some situations, when you're talking to some individuals, you say, hey, it's biblical to take a break. But maybe you shouldn't because you haven't worked anyway. Okay. You know people like that? That's not the case here. These men have worked. These men have gone that tour. They have preached. They have done all those those works. And they have been working very hard. And so he says, okay, taking a break, was it's not an excuse. For you guys, you weren't lazy. That's great. Number four. Let's move right into number four. Taking a break often requires a change of scenery. Where Jesus says to the disciples, hey, listen, for us to get a break, we're going to change the venue. We're going to change the activity. We need to go somewhere, go someplace, and get a different fresh air for a few minutes. That, that happens to you. That happens to you at times that you say, hey, I need a break from my work schedule. I need to pour myself into something. Some of you pour yourself and find it very relaxing to do flower bed work. You think that that is therapeutic. I think it's crazy, okay? Because I can't grow plastic flowers. I kill those, okay, the artificial ones. But for some of you, is working in the garden therapeutic? Okay? It's a change of pace. But it may not be if you were working at Royer's Flowers all day, probably working in your own garden bed isn't, isn't the right thing. It would be doing something different. So you have to pick and say, like Jesus said, let's come apart, let's go into the, into the wilderness, and let's just pause. You know, Because there are some moments that it gets busy, not just for you, but for your families. Swindoll, Charles Swindoll, some of you know who he is, um, and he had had ministries and written many books. He talks about one time that he was in the heyday of his ministry that his boy came up to him, the boy was an elementary age at the time, and came up to him and said, Dad, I need to talk to you, but I know you're so busy, I'll talk really, really fast. If you could listen to me just one minute, and I'll even walk with you as you're headed for the car. And he said it dawned on him that he is living at such a fast pace that his kids had come to the point that they believed that in order to talk to dad they had to race through and he said it dawned on me and I looked at my son and just stopped and said take your time and speak slowly who needed dad to take a break the son and sometimes we get so busy I was reading an account of Lloyd uh, uh Frank Lloyd Wright Wright do you know who he is do you remember who he is famous architect, right, that made things. He says that there was something happened when he was age nine, and he was with his uncle who had a tremendous influence in raising him. And he says his uncle was walking with him through a meadow along the fences in the, and headed towards from one barn area to another area on their farmland. And he said he will never forget this, that he was walking with his uncle. It had snowed out, and as they were walking along, all of a sudden his uncle stopped and said, you know, Son, turn around and look. Look at your tracks. And he said, I turned around and looked at my tracks. They were by the fence, way over by the cow, way back here by a tree. He said, I didn't make a straight line. I made a zigzag as we were walking. You know, I was all over the place. And my uncle's footprints in the snow were straight, true, headed one direction. He said, my uncle said to me, Son, do you notice how you're all over the place? You're preoccupied with so many things. What you need to do is follow in steps that are straight and true and have a goal and just stick with it and not be sidetracked. And later, years later, Wright said, I learned from that lesson. He said, my uncle's profound statement taught me a real lesson. I want to keep on zigzagging so I enjoy things in life, not just work all the time. He has a point. We can get so busy that we forget things around us. Jesus says to his disciples come we need to take a break you need to physically we need this spiritually you're tired and yet let's keep this balanced okay taking a break number five taking a break does not excuse us from ministering to others it doesn't excuse us from ministering to others getting upset with others who all of a sudden they have some needs the story is that they go and they're taking their break And I already read in verse 33, the people on shore, those 15,000 people, they are so intent on having Jesus minister to them, it says that they outran the boats to the other side of the shoreline. Look at the words. They went afoot, okay, it says, and it says that they outwent them in the King James. What they did is they went about 9 or 10 miles on foot, and they got to where Jesus was going to land before Jesus landed and so these people, when, they, when Jesus gets out of the boat, Jesus knows he needs a break. He knows the disciples needs a break. But he sees these people. Look at the next few words that Jesus describes the situation through the apostle. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw the people and he was what? What's it say? He's moved with compassion. You know, the word that, he, that is here for moved has the idea that he was chained. He was imprisoned he was tied up if you would by compassion it it just took him and it dominated him all of a sudden it's a very descriptive term because they were people who were what like as what he makes an analogy here they were sheep without what yeah so what does he do he begins to teach them i find this convicting I find it convicting that says in this text, it is spiritual and it is appropriate at times to back away, to move away and take a break. And don't have to feel guilty about that. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, when you take a break, if God brings into your path needs needy people, don't be so self-centered on your free time that you ignore the needs of people who need, at that moment, need ministering. Where's that balance? It's going to be by the leading of the Spirit in your life. But there's the reality that says that we need, at times, a pause. But that doesn't mean that we need a pause to such an effect. Let me see if I can make it pointed application. I need a break from teaching. I need a break from, from deaconing. I need a break from working in the nursery. All of that is fully understood. That there's times for those breaks. Does that mean they're permanent? Not by this text. I need a break in my life. I'm going into retirement years. And it's good for us to have a break. But then we should never be moved with compassion on people who God brings into our life and need us to minister. The text says there's, a, there's this constant pull and tug that is going to be a conflict. And by the way, the Bible is filled with this. If we're doing what's right, we're going to have tensions in our life. We're going to have these tensions pulling. I want to help the poor, but I have responsibilities to make sure that I'm taking care of my bills. There's a tension. We need to be good stewards, and at the same time, we need to be charitable. But yet there's a tension. There's a tension that says, okay, I want to help somebody out in great need. But I'm not supposed to help them out to the point that I'm carrying their burdens. Let everyone carry their own knapsack, but bear one another's burdens. There's a tension. There's a conflict. There's a, a pull and a tug. And you need to find a happy medium. The same thing happens in First Corinthians when he's talking about families. There's the tension that you want to serve the Lord, but you want to keep your spouse and kids happy. And there's going to be a constant tension. There's going to be a tug. And he says, okay you 've got to figure out this tension. Here in this text he 's implying by illustration there needs to be a break, but that doesn 't mean that we forget and ignore and consider anybody who intrudes into our break time with a need that is genuine, that they 're an interruption, they're an obstacle, but that 's where the apostles go. Jesus looks at it as an opportunity. And so there's these tensions that you and I live with. And by the way, if we can maintain the tension so we don't swing the the pendulum to either one of those sides where we're so charitable we don't take care of our own bills, we take care of our own bills to the point that we're not charitable, we want to be in the middle. We want to be balancing that out. I want to be serving the Lord. I want to be keeping my family happy, but I want to be in the middle. I want to be an individual who is helping people out, but I am not enabling people. I want to be in the middle so I want to take a break, but I don't want to just not serve anymore. And so there's that tension that's in this text, and it's created by this great crowd. This great crowd comes, and Jesus is moved with compassion. He sees that they are spiritually needy, and they are so, they are so destitute spiritually. They are so abandoned spiritually. They are so abused spiritually by their teachers that he moves in and says, I've got to take this opportunity this is this is an opportunity to minister to 15,000 and he starts ministering to them big number it's going to take him all day to minister to these people and he's ministering to them for an extended period of time until the point that later on they say hey the day is far spent send the people away we have no food the op- the apostles don't see this as opportunity they only see the negative they only see the the You know, the situation as this is impossible, we can't do this, we can't. And Jesus says, let's feed them. We can't do that. We only have 200 penny worth. We don't have this, we don't have this. It is interesting to note that sometimes when we are exhausted, we only see the negatives. We only see the interruptions. We only see the obstacles. But Jesus, though he is tired, he is able through the mind of the spirit and the wisdom of the spirit of God to be able to see opportunity and he ministers. Now, he is far more capable than you and me. But he ministers and reaches out and tries to help these needy people who are great in number, and he, he says, "Hey, I, I know I need a break, but at the same time, these people need help." And he ministers to them in that way, and he teaches them. and we'll talk more about it in two weeks, about how or next week. We'll talk more about how he ministers to them and how, what he expects from the disciples, but don't be so much so focused on fun times that even in your vacation times, even in your breaks, you won't minister. Even you say, I need a break from teaching for a little bit. Great, great, fine. But come back to ministering. Don't say, well, I need such a break that I'm going to stop all ministry whatsoever. The nursery has just exhausted me to the point that I'm not going to even pray for others. I'm not even going to share the gospel. I'm not even going to lift a finger. Come on, folk. That's not what Christ is saying. We should have tensions to the point that we swing the pendulum, we should be saying, I want to serve, I want to serve, I know I need to have that time to refresh, but I need to be sensitive to the needs of others around me. And he was. The apostles, they're not. And so what we want to do is we want to maintain that. But can I make a number six observation? Number six is this. Taking a break should always include time for spiritual refreshment. Let's jump down into the text. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Fifteen thousand, twenty thousand. 20,000 he feeds them with great amount of food we'll talk about that next week but all of a sudden when we read a little bit further in verse 45 the day is ended he commands constrains the disciples hey we need to get out of here okay we need a break we need a break we need to get out of here to go to the other side and when he had sent them away where does jesus go it's been busy He's been overwhelmed. He hasn't had time to eat. He hasn't had time to think. And even when he takes the disciples on a sailing trip that could be four or five hours, by the time he gets there, there's a crowd there. He ministers all day. What does Jesus take time to do in the middle of all of his busyness? He prays. How long does he pray? Do we have any indication? Is it two minutes, three minutes? Okay. In this case, it doesn't say how long. In the other Gospels, it gives the indication that he prays most of the night. That he sends him away around dusk, and then it says when it's the early morning hours, he goes out, walks in the water, and meets the disciples. And so he spends several hours. Can I make an observation here? That when you are planning a time of refreshment, make sure you plan a time, something for spiritual refreshment. We plan vacations. Nothing wrong with that. We have to make reservations. Nothing wrong with that. We plan times away where we might have to get tickets early. We might have to make sure we have the right clothing for it. We may have to make sure that we, our credit card doesn't get canceled because it starts being used en route across the nation. Nothing wrong with those types of things. But when you plan your vacation, have you planned spiritual refreshment? Have you planned something to do? I, I very seldom have done that. Just recently, we, right, right, right after the conference was over, we went away for three days just to get away. And it's the first time that I remember doing it, but it was one of the richest times to go away, and I determined that what I was going to do was I was going to start reading the book of Job once a day because I want to preach Job starting next month. And so it was, I want to read through the book. Reading through and it's like wow that's going to be that's going to take a long time to read through the book, you know it's only so many chapters, 42, you know sitting down that's going to take a long time. Do you know how much more you get out of a book when you read it in one setting, and you just, and you read it and read it in multiple different versions to get different nuances, and read it sometimes in the the way it's laid out not like some of the Bible verses where everything is a single sentence but read it like in the reading that. We're used to. It doesn't take that long. But talk about spiritual... The one evening we just sat there, we read together, we just talked and we sang. And just spent the evening singing hymns and just talking. It was a really cool, neat time of refreshing. Just to get away, but not to get away from the Lord. And just to spend some time. And I learned a tremendously important lesson. I've heard this, I've read this, But we're supposed to be doers, not hearers only. And by planning that, it was just a confirmation of how wise the Lord was. That when he planned a break. So you plan a break from teaching. Great. Understood. Do you break from study? Or do you plan so you get refreshed some way, somehow? Okay, I've I've planned a break. I've done spiritual refreshing. It's been cool. It's been great. But then get back into the game. Don't, don't make this the normal pattern of your life that says, you know, it feels so good to be in a siesta mode that I'm not serving. No, 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 that's not what he does here. That's not what he illustrates here. He illustrates that the needs of the gospel and the needs of others means that we just keep on. We keep on laboring and working. We take breaks to be refreshed. Even the Lord did that. But then what we do is we get back to the work. Can I make these final points in your notes? These observations. Number one, plan for periodic breaks. Plan periodic breaks. And that means even plan a weekend where you're not doing all the chores. But you may as a family or as a couple, you need to take a break. Take a break. Take a break so you don't break. Take the time away even though there is still some unfinished work to be done. Can I, can I ask it this way? When will you get every chore done? Never. When will you get your house and yard the way you really want it? By the time you get it where you want it, there's something, something else. The wind comes along the other night and creates more work. So we can you know when are you going to get all that house cleaning done completely to your satisfaction that you sit down and say there's not a thing more that needs to be done indoors Well, only if you 're the only person in the house and everything is covered in plastic okay you're always going to have more to do you know I, I, when is there you know Deb and I've been talking about. When, is, when am I caught up making all the calls on all the widows? It'll never happen. It'll never happen, right? Because somebody needs a visit. It would be helpful. And I understand more and more as time goes by why, God, why deacons are so critical in those ministries. We just cannot, any one of us, do everything we want to do in the time we want it done without wearing ourselves out. Especially if we start putting on those extra things. So number three, focus on doing different activities than your normal routine when a break time comes. Do something different. Do something different. But at this, and, at, and at that time, let's make this statement number four, enjoy the opportunity. Enjoy the opportunity. I think that's still a lesson that we struggle with and I struggle with. When we do get away, Deb says, "Are you going to enjoy yourself or are you going to plan something else in the, in what, Just enjoy it and take the time for the mental break. Number five: plan for and take time to be refreshed spiritually when you take a break. If you're going to go away, you're going to spend, plan something you're going to do in your devotions. Listen to something en route. Listen to some scripture. Take take a Christian video or movie or series. Let your heart be refreshed. But do something so you're spiritually challenged and refreshed and filled. Number six, look for opportunities to minister to others that God brings into your path even during your time off. When you have your break, look for opportunity that God has given for you to minister, that somebody right at that moment really desperately needs you know, the food of the Word of God. Number seven, return to your God-given assignment in time with a positive outlook. With a positive outlook. And consider it a, just a ministry and a privilege to serve God for His glory in any, in any workplace He's put you because it's a mission field. It's an opportunity for you to express your faith. Return, number eight, to serving God and others regularly. Don't quit. Don't take a break by saying, I quit. Take a break, get refreshed, meet those needs, and then return to God-given assignments of service.